the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It's the Nick D Podcast. How you doing? My name is Nick DeGilio, and I am your host here at the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the greatest podcast network on the planet. Episode number 212 of the Nick D Podcast, a pop culture entertainment and review uh, podcast with uh, all kinds of great regular guests. I am your host, Nick DeGilio. And uh, today, uh, we have a really special guest today that I'm very excited about, um, an, an incredible actor who's been in, oh, I don't know, I think his credits at this point, are around the 600 range, if you go to IMDb. He is a great character actor who has done uh, comedy and horror and drama and suspense and all kinds of other genres. He's done television. He's done stage. He's done film. He has also uh, been a part of this podcast since the very beginning. We've had him on several times. He was a part of my old radio show where he was a Guest many, many times. He's become a friend, and he's one of my favorite actors in the world, and his name is Stephen Tobolowski. Stephen Tobolowski, uh, an incredible actor and a remarkable storyteller, an incredible podcaster, and a guy who has told incredible stories over the many, many years he's been in the business, and they're always entertaining. They're always funny. He is an incredibly nice guy, and he works all the time. So we're going to talk about his latest stuff, film-wise, TV-wise. We're going to talk about some of the other things that he's done. He found some old stories that we're going to talk about. The theater scene in L.A. is bright and kicking ass again, as is the theater scene in New York. So we're going to talk about theater stories. And there's an incredibly awesome event that's happening on Groundhog Day, because as you might know, Stephen Toblowski played Ned Ryerson, Needle Nose Ned, Ned the Head, from uh, Groundhog Day. And uh, there's going to be an incredible celebration of Groundhog Day at Harry Carey's in Navy Pier here in Chicago on Friday, February 2nd. And it's also to celebrate the memory of Harold Ramis, who um, uh, it will be 10 years since Harold had passed, has passed away. So uh, Stephen's going to come to town for that, for this big star-studded celebration of Groundhog's Day and remembrance of Harold Ramis at um, Harry Carey's in Navy Pier. So we're going to talk about that as well. So there's a lot to talk about and catch up with with the incredible Stephen Tobolowsky. So excited. The Tobo is going to be on the podcast in uh, just a few moments. Uh, and then my regular uh, my regular co-host here, Ezreal Leon. She's the best. Been with me since way back in the day on the car wash, doing traffic on my show and always being a great part of this podcast since the beginning. We are going to um, grant a magic megaphone wish. And we've got some other great topics that we're going to talk about, including uh, snappy comebacks and witty retorts and just being witty <laughs> in general. And a lot of other fun, fun stuff. And a taste test will happen with Esmeralda Leon. So, the great Stephen Tobolowski, the wonderful Esmeralda Leon, that's all part of what's happening on this, the latest episode of the Nick D Podcast. You can find us at the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, 
where we are available on every single platform, uh, every platform where podcasts are available. Subscribe to us, uh, uh, like us, pass us around, you know, um, let everybody know how much you love the show and share and rate and review on every single platform. Radio Misfits Podcast Network has a ton of amazing, varied, entertaining, informative, suspenseful, scary, tremendously well-done podcasts that are available. You can also listen to us 24-7. That's right. Radio Misfits has a live 24-7 streaming service. It's like radio, only a lot cooler. It's free, and it rules. It's radiomisfits.live. You can hear 24 hours of incredible programming, free streaming all the time, radiomisfits.live. Incredible music from unsigned bands from the Unheard Band si- uh, Unheard Music si- uh, uh, podcast. You can hear that. And then episodes of all the podcasts available here, including this podcast. You can hear it daily at 3 p.m. Central. And you can hear my other podcast, which is called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. You can hear that daily at 9 a.m. Central. So you can hear both of my podcasts daily and all the other podcasts available in in between incredible music. It's 24 hours. It's free. It's awesome. It's like radio, only cooler. You should uh, uh, um, bookmark it and listen to it and check it out 24-7, radiomisfits.live. Also, you want to be a sponsor on this podcast, we'd love to have you. Uh, it'll be behoove you and me and everyone. A lot of people listen to this podcast. So you want to advertise on this podcast? You want to be a sponsor on this podcast? We'd love to have you. Get it in there now. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Say, I want to be a sponsor. I want to advertise on the Nick D podcast. It'll be good for you. Trust me. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Uh, I have a 24-hour voicemail system that's open if you want to call and leave any kind of message or a request for a magic megaphone or a topic or a question for any of my regular guests, anything you want to say at any time of the day or night. 773-417-6948. Let's hear from you. Drop us an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we also love to hear from this young lady. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. I know. Hi, I'm yep, Carrie yep. Russell, and I love Nick's show. Yeah, made the rounds on the Emmys, made the rounds on the Golden Globes, um, and uh, the Diplomat is coming back. Carrie Russell's keeping busy. She's the the best. When she's not living on my back porch, she's still working really well. So anyway, get a hold of us. Be a part of it. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sound. Ed Silla does everything else. Radio Misfits provides all the greatness. This is the Nick D Podcast, episode number 212, and the great Stephen Tobolowski joins me after I tell you that you immediately need to be congratulated. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jaggle. Tobolowski. He was Ned the Head. Stephen Tobolowski. Did you hear what I just said? Stephen Tobolowski. Whistling belly button trick. Stephen Tobolowski. Bing! Stephen Tobolowski. Bing again! Stephen Tobolowski. <laughs> Stephen Tobolowski. That's a doozy. Stephen Tobolowski. And there it is. 
There's no mistaking the wonderful Jason Skaggs, and uh, that uh, theme is for my guest, my special guest on this episode of the Nick D Podcast, the great Stephen Tobolowski. Stephen, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. You, you know, the fact that Jason leads with cocaine and blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that he, was... likes, he likes, he does the deep cut, Stephen. He goes deep. That's a deep cut. That's deep. <laughs> In case people don't know, Cocaine and Blue Eyes uh, starred O.J. Simpson. Yes, it did. Yeah. And I played, do you, do you remember what I played, no, Nick? Please tell the story because I love this story. Just tell I, I played porno clerk. <laughs> And since then, it has been it has been cleaned up in the IMDb as just clerk. I see. But, but in the movie, I play porno clerk, and we we shot this on Hollywood Boulevard in a porno store, and so O.J. Simpson and I went out and rehearsed our scene, and there are all sorts of. Uh, items, uh, latex things and stuff behind me and all this. And I knew it was something that I could not let my mother see at the time. Because, you know, you're a young guy, you go to Hollywood, you want your parents to see that you're doing well, not that you're playing porno clerk. You're porno clerk with OJ. Well, this is before OJ OJ became OJ. Uh, Yeah, yeah. before he really became OJ. So we we rehearse the scene, we go back to the trailers, and then we wait for like two hours. I'm going like, what's going on? Oh, they're getting the set ready. So we go back to the set, and they had built platforms everywhere OJ was to walk so he would be taller than me. <laughs> it's, it's like in the old days uh, when they used to have a trench in the ground for tall, tall actors to walk yeah. so the star could walk beside them and be That's taller. Right. That's right. So that was Cocaine and Blue Eyes, and it aired on, it was so good, <laughs> it aired, they aired it on TV on New Year's Eve <laughs> at about 9 o'clock at night. Now, <laughs> you know... You know they're trying to bury, <laughs> bury a show if it's going right. to be on New Year's Eve. Yeah. No one will be home yeah. watching. Nine o'clock. Everybody yeah. is in front of their TV waiting for porn clerk to show up. That's, yeah. uh, that's and <laughs> and you guys led off with that in that song. So I I feel like dancing. That is exactly. so exactly. Well, uh, Stephen uh, Stephen Tobolowski, Everybody knows who you are. You've been in uh, I don't know how many movies, about seven hundred and fifty at this point, and TV shows and. So many classic uh, films and so many classic TV shows. And, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. I mean, all the way from uh, Single White Female, Sneakers, uh, Wild Hogs. I'm just off the top of my head. I'm not even looking at that. Thelma and Louise. Um, uh, 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 Of course, Groundhog Day. Uh, Glee. I loved you on Glee so much. Um, Hey, Memento. Memento, for God's sake. How could I forget Memento? See what I did there? Sammy Jenkins. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was such a, and working with that guy who uh, right now is the odds on favorite to win best director this year. Yeah, yeah, Chris. Uh, Chris is amazing, and it, it's amazing when we did that show. When we did Memento, we had such a great time. Mm-hmm. We were all having so much fun shooting that movie, and I had no idea at the time that Chris was going to become like certainly one of the leading film directors in the world. Yeah, had yeah. no idea. Now you know if it, you know speaking because you've worked with Chris Nolan, you've worked with yeah. God. I mean, who are let's drop let's you know let's we, have we ever really done this? Have we ever just name dropped the directors that you've worked with? Because you've worked oh, with God. an astonishing list of big time A list and creative directors. 
So we got Christopher Nolan. You worked uh, Thelma and Louise with Ridley Scott. Yeah. Uh, who are some of the other? Uh, I mean, obviously. Barbet Schroeder, single Barbe white Sh- female God, with Barbet love- Schroeder. You were so creepy in that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was the movie in which uh, uh, Bridget Fonda had to knee me in in the groin. Yes. And uh, and. Barbe came to me and said, Stephen, you don't have to worry about anything. We are going to protect you for this. Everything. The stunt director will be in your trailer. We will, we will make this absolutely safe. Right. And so uh, I go to my trailer, and there's a hockey cup there. Uh, just a hockey cup. And I go, huh? And I go to the stunt coordinator. This is it? This is my protection from, from Bridget kneeing me in, in the groin is just a hockey cup. And he goes, oh, it, it should work fine. So anyway, my wife shows up to watch the filming because she wants to be there. Uh-huh. And uh, so Bridget, Bridget whispers to me, uh, listen, when we, when we shoot this scene, I want you to squeeze my breast really hard because I hate that. And I will be able to kick you really hard in the nuts. And, and I go, okay, already I see this train going over the cliff. My wife goes up to Bridget Fonda and said, listen, gal to gal, I want him home the same way he is right now. You got it? And Bridget said, I got it. I got it. So... We went through that scene where Bridget and we ha- we had to go through it many many times, and Bridget never even touched the hockey cup. Wow! She was like a ninja. Wow. She was just brilliant. It just yes, okay. But that that was that was single white female. Amazing, yeah, yeah. amazing. Okay, so your nu- your nuts were intact, and and yep. Anne was happy when you got home. Very happy. Okay, but let's see. Alan Parker, Mississippi yeah. Burning. Alan Parker. Oh, Alan Parker. The late, great Alan Parker. Boy. What oh, a boy. great man. What was it like to work with him? He's direct, oh. He directed one of my favorite, he's directed a ton of great movies, but one of my favorite movies of all time, one of my very favorite movies of all time is a film called Shoot the Moon. Oh, with God. Albert Finney oh, and Diane Keaton. Um, it, that movie just tears my heart me out. Me too. It's, and it's, oh, my, it's, my, it's my two favorite performances by those two actors. And it's still my favorite film that Alan Parker directed. And he directed a lot of amazing movies. What was it like working with Alan Parker? Well, it, it was I was just supposedly um, head of the Ku Klux Klan in that movie. I was supposed to be on the movie for like a week, uh, two weeks at most. I, w- I just had two or three little scenes in the movie, one of which being the big Ku Klux Klan speech. But because we were shooting all through the South, and as we have seen this year, weather tends to move through the South oh. predictably but unpredictably. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And there's thunderstorm season. And because my Ku Klux Klan speech was going to be outdoors and there were going to be about 2,000 extras, they could not have a, a thunderstorm. So they moved me from having a two-week contract to a run-of-the-picture deal. So I was on for the entire movie, which meant I was going to be doing a lot of nothing. So I went to the set. I went to the set just to hang out and have snacks. Yeah, you know. And there was a knock on my trailer door, and it was Alan Parker. And Alan came up and said, Stephen, I, I heard you're interested in maybe learning how to direct. Maybe you should 
since you're going to be here a while, would you like to follow me around and wow. do do see me do what I do? And I go, well, well, sure, Alan, thanks a lot. Yeah. So for the next two months or whatever, I follow Alan around. He takes me to every aspect of filmmaking, uh, editing, costumes, sets, painting, everything, everything. And it gets to the point where we're in a camera meeting with the cinematographer. I'm, I've, I've been following Alan around now for about six weeks. And he goes, stop, stop everyone, Stephen. How would you shoot this scene? And oh. I go, uh, how would I shoot this? Okay, well, let's see. I would start with a master, then I'd slowly move in, then I'd go to a two-shot. No, no, terrible, terrible idea. You would <laughs> never do that. Never, never do that again. I go, oh, okay, I'm sorry, sir, I'm sorry. He says, what we're going to do is we're going to move, and, and Alan described how he was going to shoot the scene. And it was, like, amazing, yeah. absolutely amazing. Uh, when... We got to shooting my scene. I found out that 1,500 of the extras used their Ku Klux Klan cards to be extras in the movie. Oh, God. That, that was their ID. And oh. so we, we have 1,500 Klansmen out there. Oh, uh, and and uh, so Alan came up to me and whispered on on. And we started shooting, and you know, nighttime scenes, I'm sure people understand this, but when you see a scene that's shot at nighttime, mm -hmm. it's usually shot all night. Right. So, you know, you start at sundown and you shoot until dawn is usually what happens. So Alan said, so Stephen, what we'll do is we're certainly not going to do this whole speech. My speech was very racist, if you remember. Yeah, I love Mississippi. The, the beginning of the speech is very you know, nothing, very, yeah, uh, right. not, not offensive at all. He says, just do the beginning of the speech. We'll cut, we'll take it from several angles, and then we'll send everybody home, and then we'll do the rest of your speech with no one here. Are right. you okay with that? I go, yes, sir. So we did about, and I'm not exaggerating, about 30 takes of the beginning of my Ku Klux Klan speech. Alan always shouting, cut, uh, right before I go into the vicious, yeah, uh, the racist stuff. portion of the speech. Yeah. Yeah. And then once he doesn't call cut, he doesn't call cut. And in that instant, my training said, if a director doesn't say cut, you keep going. So I went into the second half of the speech, which was vicious. And yeah. the audience came alive. They started screaming, uh, yes, yes, we uh, love you. You should be our president. Love you. Yeah, all right, all right. Screaming, uh, screaming, throwing things in the air. And Alan Parker rushed up to me and said, oh, my goodness. Well, we didn't expect this. Let's keep shooting. So we <laughs> shot the whole racist part with uh, all those people there. And at the same time, the craft service person and when you are shooting in the south and you, you just grab people wherever you can to help with snacks and things was a little black boy mm. and his family were craft service so uh, his name was joshua i believe and uh so i had been screaming my speech for two or three hours i was getting a little parched and i just raised my hand and said uh i'd like could I have some hot tea or something just to, just to help do this speech? 
And so the AD called, Joshua, Joshua, get over here. Get over here. Mr. Topolowsky wants tea. Did you hear him? He wants tea. Now go get some tea. Get some tea. And all of the audience was standing up. And this little boy, this little boy, these 1,500 Klansmen stand up. And this little boy goes, "Uh, Mr. Topolowsky, would you like anything in your tea? Uh, No, no, Joshua. I'm, I'm sorry for everything. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for everything. And he goes, no, Mr. Topolowsky, don't you worry. You're doing a real good job. You keep doing what you're doing, and don't you worry about me. I'll be fine. And that little boy walks through the Klansmen, and from where I am standing, there's 1,500 screaming racists in the audience. This little 13-year-old, 15-year-old boy starts walking through those Klansmen, and I see the audience part for him. Wow. And I thought, you know, we're going to be okay. Wow. One wow. brave little boy could stand up against all those people. But wow. that was Alan Parker. And Alan Parker. Here, here is a uh, callback to Alan Parker, and that is my son was in Paris, France, and he was taking some sort of school class there. I don't know why. I think I think, yeah. I think friends of his were, were going to this, and he wanted to finish his high school stuff soon. So he was in high school. It was his birthday, and he wanted a birthday present. And I said, what would you like? He said, Dad, will you do my laundry for me? And I go, okay. <laughs> there aren't a lot of laundromats in Paris. <laughs> so I take his laundry and start riding the train. I get off, I'm walking down the streets of Paris with this huge load of laundry, and this man comes around the corner and goes, excuse me, you're Stephen Tobolowsky, aren't you? And I go, yes, you were in Alan Parker's movie, Mississippi Burning, weren't you? And I go, yes. And he said, you know, Alan is quite fond of you. He speaks of you often, and uh, I just would like to give... Uh, say hello to you from him. And I said, well, please tell Alan hello. And as a segue, the last time I saw Alan, the last time I saw Alan Mm. was at the opening of Groundhog Day. And I was going to the premiere with Andy because she wanted me to walk with her to keep men away from her. (laughs) Right. Andy McDowell, by the way, is what we're talking about. Yeah, and Andy McDowell, you know. And so we're walking up, and Alan Parker is standing in front of the theater. And I run up to him, and I hug him, and I said, Alan, I am such an idiot. Please forgive me. I was such a fool when I was on Mississippi Burning. I did not realize the gift you gave me. I just thought, oh, all these huge famous directors give these fledgling actors a chance to direct their movie (laughs) and a chance to follow them around. You gave me a gift that was so great. And Alan, in his typical way, pushed me away. Goes, oh, stop it, stop it, stop it. Mm. You just better be good in this movie. (laughs) And uh, and let's segue right to it then. Of course, we have to talk about Groundhog Day, and that's a great segue. Uh, And you were good in Groundhog Day, obviously. Um, 
And uh, there's a celebration that's that's happening here in Chicago, um, and uh, it's uh, on it's on Groundhog Day, uh, February second. It's a Friday, and it's at the Harry Carey Tavern, the Navy Pier location in Navy Pier. And um, and the idea is that they're going to turn Navy Pier into uh, well, I mean, they're going to turn it into the into the set of the uh, into the set of the movie, and it looks like Brian Dolan Murray's going to be there, Robin Duke's going to be there, uh, Dave Pasquese's going to be there. And other people, and uh, according to this, you're going to be there too, uh, Stephen. That's uh, what it said. Yeah, now, that's what it says. <laughs> I, you know, my agent called me and said, "Are you willing to? Would you like to go do this tribute to Harold Ramis?" And you want to go? Yeah. Uh, I had no idea what it was, and I said, "Just let me know the deta- the details." And so far, no one has let me know the details except someone from Chicago said. Well, you're advertised as yeah, good. But I have no plane ticket or hotel yet, but I'm sure that will come. And I I will be there. I will be there. Okay. Uh, I, I'm assuming all that will happen because uh, giving a tribute to Harold Ramis yeah. is is something I would like to do. Well, Certainly it's gonna, one of the, yeah. Listen to the stuff that, that, that there's going to be happening. It's going to turn yeah. into a Groundhog wonder, uh, Wonderland. Harry Carey's Tavern <laughs> will have food and beverages inspired by the movie's Tip Top Cafe. Uh, the venue will also showcase various artifacts from Harold Ramis's career, including Bill Murray's Armani coat worn in Groundhog Day and items from Ghostbusters. Navy Pier will play a crucial, crucial role in the festivities, screening the film and the soundtrack inside the Fifth Third Bank Family Pavilion. A groundhog image will be featured on the big centennial Ferris wheel outside. Uh, several restaurants in the pier will be offering Groundhog Day specials. The Sable Hotel will be temporarily called the Pennsylvanian Hotel in homage to the movie. Uh, and all of these great things are happening. Uh, Brian Doyle Murray is going to actually, uh, he's the president of the Chicago Groundhog Club in this, and he will have Harry, a live groundhog, will make his downtown debut. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Alderman Brendan Riley will read a proclamation declaring it Harold Ramis Day in Chicago, and all of this will kick off at 3 o'clock at uh, Harry Carey's Tavern in Navy Pier on Friday, uh, February 2nd. It sounds like an unbelievable celebration, not only of that movie, but of the great Harold Ramis. Uh, and I will be there, and my girlfriend Julie will be there, and we can't wait to see you and to see. I mean, I know Dave too, Dave Pasquese and uh, Pasquese, um, and you know, and all the and a lot of the other people there, and Brian Dolan Murray. It's going to be great. Um, and and before we jump into it, is 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 Ned Ryerson the the one that you get recognized the most? Is that the is that the is that the movie? I mean, you've done a ton of stuff, but is that the one that you get recognized for the most? Probably, probably. Yeah. You know, in the grocery store, usually daily. You know, yeah. wherever I am, someone will come up to me and go, Bing, has yeah. anyone ever done that to you before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, a few times. Yeah. A few times. It was funny, Stephen, really quickly, when we get back to it. I, you know, you always think, like, like if somebody does that to you, going, hey, Bing, or, you know, like, the, like the, or, you know, repeats a line from, from a movie f- f- to you. Like, and, they, and the person acts as though you've never heard that before, and you've probably heard it 70,000 times. So I actually did that one time, and this is how much of an idiot I am. I'm walking down the street in Chicago. I'm actually walking down Illinois, mm-hmm. away from the River East movie theater, and walking in the opposite direction towards me um, is James Cromwell. Okay. So, and, wow. you know, James Cromwell has been Jamie, in, yeah. you know, a million movies. He's just, you know, in succession and had incredible work. He did incredible work in succession, been in a million movies. 
And I love the guy. I think he's amazing. He's incredible in everything. Uh, and, of course, uh, I walk up to him. And, and, and you know, I've been, I'm, I'm a professional, Stephen. You know, I've been in, I was in the radio business for many years. <laughs> I've interviewed many celebrities. I've hung out with celebrities. It's not like I'm, I'm you know, I'm, Im, I'm immune to how you're supposed to behave in front of celebrities and things like that. And I've been okay, in, I've been okay with you, right, Stephen? I'm, you know, I'm okay oh, with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, you so here's what, here's what I did. I'm walking down the street. James Cromwell's walking towards me, and out of my mouth comes, Hey, that'll do, pig! <laughs> and, uh, and I'm smiling, and then immediately after it came out of my mouth, I'm like, You fucking idiot. As soon as it came oh. out of my mouth, and then he looked at me, and he smiled, and he kind of shook his head, and I'm like, I'm really sorry. And he's like, No, that's okay. I get it all the time. I'm like, I'm really sorry. As we crossed paths, <laughs> and that was it. But I literally went, Hey, that'll do, pig! You know, that kind of thing. So it happens. That's, it happens to the best of us, Stephen. It happens to the I, best of us. So. It just overcomes. It, it overcomes you when when yeah. fiction crosses. I think the weirdest one I ever got. I was in a movie line. Do you remember when there were movies? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. When and, you and waited in lines. Line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. waited in line for a movie. I'm waiting in line for a movie, and the guy in front of me says, "Oh my God, are you Stephen Tobolowsky? You're the, you're." You're the thermometer and brave little toaster goes to Mars? <laughs> and I, uh, I said, yes. Yeah. I was the thermometer and brave little toaster goes to Mars. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, that's got to be fun to get something that obscure. Uh, something that obscure. Yeah. That, that's but no one has come up to me and said, oh, my God. You were the porno clerk. No, you, you were yeah. and blue eyed. Never. I, I, I'm waiting for that to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It will. Someone is going to come up to you and go, porn clerk, OJ, I remember you. That's, Maybe that's... it'll happen. Maybe it'll happen Groundhog Day. Maybe it'll pier. happen at Harry Carey's and Navy Pier. Maybe I'll do yep. it. I'll do that. That's what I'll do for you. I'll do that <laughs> when I see you. Uh, so, so, you um, so Ned Ryerson, a great character, really wonderful. We've talked a million times about working on that on that movie and just how special that movie was. I hosted a screening of it, um, you know, yes. a few years back and you were kind enough to do uh, well, boy, that was back before the days of zoom, but we did like a zoom like uh, yes. thing where you talk to the audience and it was wonderful. And you know, you've been, you've embraced uh, you know, this movie and it's become a classic and I think deservedly. So um, when you were making it, did anybody have any idea that, you know, so many years later, 30 years later, um, you know, that people would still be embracing and loving this film? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't think so. And, and part of the reason is, is there was a, always a bit of chaos on the, on the set. And, and that was, I, I think I'd mentioned at one point in time, we shot that first week. And the first week was, we did a lot of scenes of me and Bill on the street that first right. week. Right. And partly because Harold Ramis was not sure what the day of the movie would be because that day had to be repeated meteorologically, right? right? It had to be the same weather every day that's repeated. And right. we were shooting outside of Chicago. So we had every kind of weather you could imagine. So Bill and I were shooting the street scenes in the snow and the rain, in the, in the fog, in the, in the sunshine, everything. And at yeah. the end, Harold Ramis had picked the gloomy day to be the repeated day. And when snow starts to fall near the end is when time starts again. So that was all a matter of choice. But what happened after that first week 
is that Harold shot like the scene where Bill goes, he realizes he has no consequences yeah. and Bill goes nuts, which is a ton of scenes of Bill in the uh, inn he's at where he's shaving his head into a mohawk and he's spray painting his room and then chainsawing the furniture in half, getting electrocuted in the shower, all these things. And every one of these stunts, of course, has to be repeated over and over again for various takes. So you have right. to have all sorts of different wallpaper that gets painted. You know, so you have to take it away. So when Bill does the next take, it's clean. You have to have secondary pieces of furniture that when he chainsaws a chair in half, you have to have a new chair. I mean, just so yeah. much work. Yeah. And something Alan Parker taught me. He said, in Mississippi Burning, he says, you watch, we're going to shoot all of the uh, church burnings, the rapes, the murders, the first week of shooting. And then we'll get into the character scenes later because the studios are always watching the first week of footage to see if the movie's going to be good. Oh. And so we want to give them all the violence, all the sex, everything we could give them that first week. So here Harold Ramis at the end of the first week has all of this footage of me and Bill doing the Ned scenes on the street yeah. and this gigantic set piece where Bill tears up the room. Right. Harold Ramis at the end of the first week looked at all the footage of Bill tearing up the room and he threw it away, mm -hmm. threw a lot of it away. And he went to Danny Rubin, the screenwriter and said, what is the real story we're telling in Groundhog Day? Mm -hmm. is, is the story going to be Bill going nuts? Like in, at that period in history, Bill had done a lot of movies where he goes nuts. He goes yeah. nuts very well, yeah. very, very cinematically. Yeah. Or are we doing a movie about how we use the time of our life? And so this is where the chaos came in. Harold and Danny threw out a lot of scenes and they started rewriting the movie as we were shooting it. Yeah. And so we were getting pages literally hot off the press and we're just looking at the, oh, oh, here's a new scene. Oh, here's, oh my God. And so the, this is where the chaos came in. Now I found out with, with doing 3000 projects, you know, in this business, yeah. A lot of times on a movie set, when you feel like everybody's partying and everybody's having a good time and slapping each other on the buttocks and all that stuff, <laughs> that, oh man, we, got, we are having a great time. The movie is a flop. Mm. But when the movie has an element of chaos in it, sometimes like Mississippi Burning, like Groundhog Day, sometimes the movie can be a classic. Yeah. Sometimes the movie can be great because in the words of Ridley Scott, who I worked with on Thelma and Louise, that the main job of the director, if you're doing a good job in film, is to inject surprise into the film. He says that is the one thing that's ineffable that you cannot touch, you, but you could feel it as an audience that nobody knows what's going to happen next. Yeah. And it creates suspense. It creates all sorts of things. And so that's what Harold did on, on Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. And we, there was this element of spontaneity. Uh, in fact, you know, when 
Bill punched me. That was the first take. That's mm -hmm. what they used in the movie when he punched me and I went to the ground. First mm -hmm. take. Uh, when Bill came out of the building and hugged me mm -hmm. and was like, so what are you doing, Ned? What are you doing later this afternoon? <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm right. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that scene was not in the script. Yeah, Bill made that up, and I guess he and Harold Ramis were in on it because they set up four cameras. They shot it, and we got that in one take. Oh man, of of just me running around the corner to end the shot because yeah. I didn't know what to do. I just kept running. That's funny. and so, and so the injection of surprise is something Harold Ramis was a master at yeah and uh yeah you know it, it, yeah i gotta say i mean i you know in in reading about this celebration that you'll be attending and i'll be attending on february 2nd at harry carey's in uh, navy pier celebrating groundhog day and celebrating harold ramus i i just realized that on february 24th it'll be 10 years since harold ramus passed oh, i cannot I mean, believe that. I, can you believe that 10 years no. um yeah i mean i yeah. you, you know out of everything I just, I was thinking about this this morning because I figured we were going to talk about Groundhog Day and Harold Ramis, but I was surprised when I thought about what are my main memories of Harold Ramis, and it has nothing to do with Groundhog Day. Okay. The last time I saw Harold Ramis, uh, it was a party in the Malibu Hills, uh, Trevor Albert, uh, the producer of Groundhog Day, had a party, and Several of us kind of showed up, and the sun was going down. And Harold Ramis sat outside in the front of the house under a tree. And I think he brought a guitar. Either he brought one or he used Trevor Albert's guitar, but he sat under the tree, and he started doing this picking, you know, like playing like folk music and stuff. Mm -hmm. Picking, and it was so beautiful. And I saw in that instant, not this man, I saw this boy sitting there playing with such joy, mm. uh, something that sounded like a folk song. And it was at this moment where I asked Harold the ultimate question of Groundhog Day as to how long is Bill really trapped in the town? And Harold looked at me, he stopped playing. He looked at me and smiled. And he said, well, Stephen, 10,000 years. <laughs> and I go, 10,000 years? He said, and then he starts playing again. And he kind of closes his eyes and he's listening to the music. And he said, you see, I'm a practicing Buddhist, which I did not know. Mm. And he said, we, in Buddhism, we believe it takes 10,000 years to perfect a human soul. And that is the story of Groundhog Day. The go. perfection of the human soul. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I got to tell you, you know, I, I met Harold uh, uh, several times. Uh, never didn't know him very well. I met him through, you know, uh, uh, publicity reasons and, and, and at events and things like that. Um, but <clears throat> on a personal note, the guy was a hero of mine. Um, yeah. He he formed, he he's one of the, one of the, major comedic voices that formed my sense of humor as a young guy. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, from his early SCTV days through, I mean, he, I, I, of people of my generation, I'm 58 and, um, and I'm pushing 59. And when, uh, you know, at a certain, you know, 
there are certain movies that guys, especially of my generation, embraced uh, and know every line to. And I think that there is a holy trilogy of comedy movies from that around, around that time period. And that holy trilogy is National Lampoon's Animal House, Caddyshack, and Stripes. Um, those three <laughs> are the holy trilogy. And what do those three movies have in common? Harold Ramis. Um, Harold, Harold Ramis, Ramis. co-wrote Animal House. He, he co-wrote and directed Caddyshack. He co-wrote and starred in Stripes. And those three movies, um, you know, I mean, in addition to all the other stuff that he did as a director, you know, including Groundhog Day and so many other great films, and it, really quickly mentioning two movies that nobody ever really talks about. He did The Ice Harvest with John Cusack. And Billy Bob Thornton, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time, a brilliant black comedy. And he did what I think is the best SNL movie ever made, and that's Stuart Saves' Family, which I think is a wonderful movie. Um, And in addition to all that, he was one of the core reasons why I got into comedy and why I studied at Second City and why I started doing comedy theater. It's because of Harold Ramis. He was a hero of mine, an absolute hero, and I was devastated when I heard about his death. Devastated. I knew he was sick. I knew he was ill for, for, for a long time. But, you know, the fact that he stayed connected to this city and that he's from here adds even more personal, you know, uh, heft to, to, to him as a human, to him as someone who passed away and made an impact on so many lives. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to have the vision. It's another thing to be able to translate that vision into action because you have talent. Yeah. And then it's another thing to have taken that talent and create something that speaks to so many people. Yeah. You, you know, there are people that have talent and their talent is reserved to the four or five people that ended up seeing whatever they did. Yeah. And you go like, gosh, boy, if this person only had an audience, Harold had an audience. Yeah. And Harold, he inspired the audience and he inspired them multiple times it's like people people will go to caddyshack people will go to groundhog day people will go to stripes over and over and over again yeah yeah it's timeless it is it is and those three that i mentioned the holy trilogy that i mentioned um I often said that, you know, like when I was in my 30s or something like that and, and, uh, and, and I was at like a party, I would always say if I was at a party, like a house party or something, and I didn't know a group of people in the room, and let's say that the room is filled with guys around my age, all I have to do is throw out a line from one of those three movies and somebody will do the callback. <laughs> and I guarantee you there will be at least, if I'm in a room of 10 guys my age and I throw out a line from Stripes, seven of those guys will be able to say the next line. And that's Harold Ramis. That's the kind of stuff that he did. And he is one of the core members of that kind of comedy, the kind of comedy that got me off my ass and made me go to Second City to study. And yeah. I mean, he came from Second City as well. And so, yeah, no, he was a, he was a hero. And it's and, it, I'm, and, and the, the fact that, you know, you got to work with him and have these incredible stories and these great experiences and the fact that you are in one of the classic movies of all time that Harold Ramis made and you're so great in it is really special. And the fact that we're all going to celebrate that at Navy Pier on February 2nd is, uh, is going to be amazing. I, I can't yeah, wait. I, I, can't, I can't wait. wait. I yeah. can't wait. So, all right. Speaking of people who have passed away, not to, keep, not to be maudlin or sad or anything, we'll pick it up a little bit, but um, since the last time I spoke to you, the amazing, the amazing Norman Lear passed away. The amazing um, Norman Lear. Yeah. And obviously, yes. you know, uh, we could talk for years about 
the way he changed television and, you know, the things that he did for the medium and how he changed television forever and his contributions are monumental. But you got to work with him. Um, you yeah. worked with him on a couple of occasions. I mean, you worked with you were a regular on the reboot of One Day at a Time, and also you did a live in front of a studio audience special with, that Jimmy Kimmel produced and that Harold Ramis was a part of. Or not Harold, I'm sorry, Norman Lear was a part of. Um, first of all, your thoughts on Norman Lear, his contribution um, as a person, as just a TV fan in the 70s, uh, when you consumed the Norman Lear stuff, how were you feeling as an actor watching this? So your thoughts on Norman Lear in general and then the personal stories, if you got them. The, my thoughts on Norman Lear is he changed the world. Yeah. That's yeah. really simple. He changed the world. His entertainment, that he, he changed entertainment, and he, in doing so, he brought the world to his table, and he changed hearts and minds. There's nobody like, like Norman Lear. Uh, I remember when I did my audition for uh, one, day at a, one Day at a Time, and I was nervous, you, you know, Nick. Yeah. We actors, we get nervous for auditions. So all the people reading for Dr. Berkowitz, it's every character actor in Los Angeles <laughs> sure. that I knew. Yeah. Everybody's dressed like a damn doctor. <laughs> you know, they're all wearing three-piece suits and the vests and all this stuff. And <laughs> right. I came just in, like, blue jeans and a sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, dear. And... and <laughs> And part of it was they were keeping the script, script secret uh, because they didn't want everything to go out. So I had no idea who anyone was in the show. I had no idea who the characters were. I had no idea what the situation was. I had no idea who I was. Mm. And so Stanislavski will tell you, <laughs> you have to know who you are <laughs> to be able to play that part. Uh -huh. So I am getting... Nervous as can be in the hallway, they finally call my name to go in, and I walk in, undoctor-like, uh, and Norman Lear stands up and smiles, and I just went over there, I shook his hand, and I said, Norman, I have to tell you something. And this is something, you know, that the, the first show First of all, I thanked him for All in the Family. Mm -hmm. I said, because All in the Family brought my family together. When yeah. I was a kid growing up, everyone in my family would sit around the TV to watch All in the Family. My yeah. father would stop working, my sister, my brother, my mother. We all sat there, sat around the TV and laughed. Thanked him for All in the Family. When I came out to Los Angeles, Kay Callan was a girl from our hometown. Yeah. in Texas, Oak Cliff. Yeah. And she was a semi-regular on All in the Family, the first All in the Family. And when she heard I had come to Los Angeles, she called me up and she invited me to see the screening of, I mean, uh, you know, the filming of, an of her episode of One Day at a Time. Okay. So One Day at a Time was the first TV show I ever saw being taped ever Got it. in my Got life. It. Isn't that crazy? And then, and then you Kay, ended up on it. And then you ended up on it. Wow. Kay took me backstage mm -hmm. and introduced me to Norman. Wow. So I said, Norman, uh, are you there? Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. My computer just went blank. Oh, uh, I'm here. You, you, we're, we're going. Good. 
Uh, so Norman was the first person I met when I came to Los Angeles that was a real person in the industry. And he meant so much to me. Then I at home and I go get one of these magazines for actors, backstage magazine or something. Uh-huh. And Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman has oh. auditions for extras. So I write Jane Murray. And the first job I had in Los Angeles was as an extra on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. So wow. Norman Lear brought my family together. Norman Lear uh, was the first show, I first sitcom I ever saw in my life live. And Norman Lear was wow. the first job I had in Los Angeles. So I told Norman this before I even auditioned wow. for, for one day at a time. And and he, he, he was very, you know, he loved hearing all this. And then they said, well, let's do the scene. And I said, well, I can't really because I don't know who I am. And so the producers and Norman are all laughing. So you don't know who you are? I said, well, I haven't read the script because the script's not available. And I don't know who any of these people are. And so the producers, the writers, they're all laughing. And they said, well, what you're doing is you're, you're getting drunk with Rita Marino. Oh, I said, okay. I'm getting drunk with Rita Marino? <laughs> And I go, oh, man, okay, yeah. <laughs> now we're in business. Okay, yeah. so you're going to be, you're gonna be Gloria, Gloria Calderon-Kellett read with me. I said, so you're going to be Rita. I said, okay, well, if I'm getting drunk with Rita, what time is it? And Gloria said, well, it's like mid- midnight, and I'm getting drunk with Rita Marina. Well, screw this. So I took my shoes off. Okay. I, I didn't sit down in the chair you're supposed to sit down in to audition. Mm-hmm. I sat up against the back wall and just talked to him on the I just sat there and then I heard That's that great. afternoon I got the part. That's awesome. That's a great story. What a great oh. story. And then, man, I mean, you know, Rita Moreno, being the love interest for Rita Moreno, I mean, my God, yeah. man. I mean. Let me, let me, let me tell you my, my amazing Norman moment. Because yeah, we, please. We, when Rita has uh, at the end of season two Rita's in a coma mm-hmm. for the show and it was a very difficult show to do because it's a series of monologues each character comes in and talks to the comatose Rita and and tells them what her character meant to them that's that's what the episode is and it's a beautiful beautiful episode so we get the script, we read through it, and there's not a dry eye in the house just reading the script when we do mm-hmm. it. And Norman and the producers come up to me and they said, Stephen, we know you're Jewish. To do this episode, we're going to have to rehearse on Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Uh, will you rehearse with us? Will you do that? And I said, Yes, I have to. Now, according to the Talmud, at this point, I would have been boiled in oil. I mean, Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year. You do not eat. You do not work. You do not do anything. So, But I said I would come in and work on Yom Kippur. So we all start rehearsing. Norman, who is also Jewish, he, he comes there and goes, Stephen, come with me. So... 
I go with Norman and we walk over to the living room part of the set and they're rehearsing the scene over in the hospital part of the set, but we're in the living room part of the set, just Norman and I. He said, tell me about your, your Yom Kippur when you were growing up. And so I started telling Norman the stories of my childhood and Norman started telling me the stories of his childhood and Yom Kippur and what it all meant to him. And that High Holy Day was in a very untraditional way, one of the holiest days of my life, wow. sitting alone with Norman Lear on the living room set of One Day at a Time, sharing stories of our childhood and Yom Kippur. Wow, that's amazing. That's a that's an incredible story. What a, what a, what a you know what a what a loss. You know, I mean, he lived a, he lived a long life. God bless him. And uh, but man, long uh, life of amazing creativity. Incredible, incredible, absolutely incredible, man. Well, uh, we've got so much. Uh, so, by, by the way, you know, you mentioned All in the Family. I do want to mention my favorite All in the Family episode. Can I tell you my favorite All in the Family episode? Of Please, all time? yeah. Okay, my favorite family episode of All in the Family. And it always has been ever since I was a kid when I first saw it. My favorite one is when they are going out to dinner and it's uh, Gloria and Mike and uh, Edith and Archie and they're going out to dinner and they're arguing about what just happened at home um, because the refrigerator was broken and uh, a refrigerator repairman shows up, a white refrigerator repairman and his assistant is played by Ron Glass, an African-American refrigerator repairman. And they keep telling the story. So Mike tells the story where... Um, you know, the, the, that Archie was being a raging maniac and yelling at the, at the black guy who was an Uncle Tom. And then Archie would tell the story where, uh, you know, like Ron Glass had a big fro and a switchblade. And then it wasn't until Edith told the story when the actual truth came out. And it was each one was a flashback to their points of view. It's always been one of my favorite episodes ever. It was like Mike's was exaggerated for his argument's sake and Archie's was exaggerated for his argument's sake. Uh, but Edith at the end told her version and it was the truth. It's always been my favorite episode ever and also a great showcase for the two actors who got to play the refrigerator repairman and the, uh, and the assistant. And Ron Glass is amazing in it because he gets to do so much fun stuff. Um, and, uh, and just it's still to this day my favorite episode uh, of, of, of All in the Family, which there are hundreds of great episodes of that show, but that's my favorite. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just yeah. beautiful. You yeah. know, Norman, Norman, again, uh, you want to talk about Harold Ramis. Norman is one of these people who had the talent, who had the microphone to be heard, and then said something that was heard. By yeah. millions of people. Yeah, and, you're and, right. And, you're and right. both, you know, Harold Ramis, Norman Lear, in their own way, changed entertainment. Yeah. Changed the world. They did. They absolutely did. Um, and we'll be paying a tribute to Harold Ramis right here in this city at Navy Pier, uh, uh, um, Harry Carey at Navy Pier on, on Friday, February 2nd. Um, and, uh, you know, pay tribute to Norman Lear every day. You can watch all of his stuff everywhere. Now, we're, we're, we're close to running out of time, Stephen, but see, I, yep. I want to tease for the next time that you're going to be on, which yep. we have to do it sooner than later because it's been a while since okay. you've been on. We've got to do it sooner than yep. later. You told me that you found 28 por pages of old stories. Now, for people who know you, uh, you are one of the greatest storytellers in the history of humankind. 
Um, there is a great movie that's out there streaming. Is is Steven Tobolowsky's uh, birthday party still out there streaming anywhere? Is it still available I, out I, there? I think it. I think it is. I yeah. think it is. I I haven't been following it, but I think it is because I still get emails about people who yeah. saw it. I I just got a movie order for. Can can I buy it? You know. Yeah. They have these things that used to be called DVDs. Right. These and, these. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, that's when we first when we first met face to face was when you were yeah going coming through town to talk about Tobolowski's birthday party. And if that's out there, that showcases your incredible and unique and amazing talent. And you've you've done a, a, a podcast. You've got the Tobolowski files. You've done stage shows where you just tell stories. Nobody tells stories better than you. But you dug up some old stories, 28 pages it's, worth. Give me a little tease on that for the next visit. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> what happened was, you, you know the... The podcast and everything began when I broke my neck. Right, right. And I, I was horseback riding on a, on a volcano in Iceland, and, and I, I ended up getting thrown and broke my neck. But I came back, and I sent some stories to David Chen, and he said he wanted to do a podcast because he saw Stephen Tobolowsky's birthday party, said, I want to do a podcast. He was a student at Harvard. He says, could you send me some material? So apparently when I had this broken neck, I ended up typing up like 28 pages of stories. And some of these stories ended up being podcast stories. But I'm looking through this. The document was lost forever. Man. And then... I, I mean, I had no idea I even did this. Yeah. And I was doing a search on my computer like about four weeks ago. And I push this button and suddenly this document appears on my computer. I go, what the hell is this? Yeah. And I'm going, it's 28 pages long. I go, oh my God, this is the thing I typed when I had the broken neck. It's all my stories. This yeah. is, uh, 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 and some of them are, you know, certainly uh, me getting thrown from the horse and the broken neck, we have that story. Getting held hostage at gunpoint is another story. But I had, there were several on there that I never did podcasts of. And I don't know if you want me to tell one of those now or just uh, let's, save it for next time. Let's save it for next time. Let's save it for next uh, time. Uh, because there's going to be... I'll do a next time. Yeah. I will go to these new secret list of stories okay. and unveil a couple absolutely awesome. ridiculous stories for that's you. That's it. That's it, man. And we will do that next time. And it'll be sooner than sooner <laughs> than uh, than than later. So we've got the secret list of Stephen Tobolowsky stories exclusively, and you're going to tell it the next time you're on. You're going to tell a couple of those incredible stories from the from the lost tapes, the lost files of Stephen Tobolowsky. How about that? The lost files when I was mortally <laughs> injured. You were mortally yeah, injured, but... exactly. Well, Stephen, always a pleasure. Thank you for sharing such great stories about Harold Ramis and, 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 and Norman Lear, some really special stuff. Um, and uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and, uh, and I'm, I'm still glad that you enjoy your theme, your theme from uh, Jason Skaggs. I'm glad you still enjoy that. I, I still love it. And I will be seeing you yeah. Groundhog Day, you and, 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 Julie, Julie, and Julie. Julie, yeah. Yeah, Julie is yes. her name, yeah. So we'll see you on Friday, oh. February 2nd. And everybody else come down. Harry carries at Navy Pier. All of Navy Pier is going to transform into Woodstock, Illinois for the day. And a whole bunch of people, including Stephen and Brian Doyle Murray and other people are going to be there to celebrate Harold Ramis and Groundhog Day. So that's happening on February 2nd at Harry Carries at Navy Pier. And I will see you then, Stephen. We'll, get, we'll grab a bite to eat and hang out for a little bit, okay? 
You got it, Nick. You You're got the it, the best. Stephen Tobolowski, everybody, and let's say hello to uh, Esmeralda Leon. Right? Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esmeralda. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Esmeralda Leon. Yeah, yeah. Get yourself some Esma. Love me some Esma. Yeah, that's right. That theme song means it's time for the one and only Esmeralda Leon. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm all right. Uh, You know, here in the Chicagoland area, we've been uh, under uh, kind of a, a, a cold spell lately. It broke a little bit. Um, yes, but apparently we're going to get a little snow as we take as we record this. There's going to be a little snow and then more mm-hmm. cold for a couple of days. But apparently, a, a, evidently, uh, in five days it'll be 46 degrees. So yeah. <laughs> so in a week's yeah. time, the temperature will go up from it'll go up approximately 53 degrees. So from mm-hmm. where it was, yeah. And then I imagine everything's going to melt. Yep. And it's just going to be wet and wet, muddy, and dirty. And exactly. And then the people people who walk their dogs in the snow and then just go, ah, it's snowy. Who cares? All the dog crap will be like nice and you'll be able to see it and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 So Uh, I never really noticed because I haven't walked a dog in a very long time, but now I walk a dog semi regularly because my girlfriend has one. And, um, I, I guess I haven't really noticed. Um, now you really notice if someone doesn't pick up after their dog. You know, back in mm-hmm. the 70s, in the 70s when I was growing up, and I'm, again, I'm going to sound like an old man, um, you know, like I hear. I like, am just an old man trying to get some wedges. Well, it, in the 70s, there was dog shit everywhere. At nobody yeah. cleaning up after your dog was not a thing when I was a kid. And it was, it was dog, you, you would have to, like, it was, it was like going on an obstacle course to avoid the piles of dog shit all over the sidewalks and on the grass. It was unbelievable. So, uh, and, and well, I know a lot of people. thank goodness. <laughs> I don't think it's a rule that you have to, but it's just become yeah. common courtesy and, to do and, it. And, you know, and the thing is, like, um, I don't know about everybody else who has a dog, um, but you walk dogs on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. do, do the people who, who, uh, who have the dogs have one of those uh, bag dispensers attached to the leash? Yes. Yes, yeah. of course the they major- do. The majority they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who invented that? Can I just say? What a, I mean, you know, because people would add, uh, they got to get the a genius, right? Because otherwise, you got to grab those plastic bags from the jewel, right? That you're just kind of sitting there. I got to take the dog out. I better take a couple mm-hmm. of plastic bags. Now you got this thing, and Julie has one uh, attached to her leash. It's like a little dispensary, and you pull it out. You know, it's like a like a paper towel. You tear it off, and it's a it's a dog shit bag. And there's another one right there. You know. <laughs> yeah, and- it. Whoever invented that piece of plastic, which it's it's so funny because it is. It's just a little case made of plastic for the most yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah. I Genius. mean, that's, absolutely. Absolutely. 
uh yeah so it's it, it is it's it's uh it, you know like and you know like when i first started walking uh the dog i was like oh this thing is pretty cool and julie looked at me like yeah dumbass it's a it's been around for <laughs> i go i don't walk dogs and you got like this dispensary of plastic bags right there like boom you pick it up and you throw it in a dumpster you throw it in a garbage can it's it's simple why people have an issue how you know, making it that simple. I got this thing. I put a put a bunch of plastic bags in it. It's not like it's a hassle, and it's not like oh shit, I forgot a bag. You know, because sometimes you'd go out and walk the dog before this invention, mm-hmm. and you go oh shit, I forgot to bring a bag. You yeah. got no excuse now. There's like, well, when it runs out, yeah, and you don't true. realize it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's the bummer where you're like, yeah. So you just have this empty container, like great. You're, you reach it for it, you go, oh no sh- way, oh shit, it's empty. <laughs> oh man, but the, the, I'm telling you, I the, you know, it, 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 great inventions of the past like what hundred years, the dog shit bag dispensary, <laughs> whatever it's called, yes. <laughs> that's attached Wait. to the leash, is one of the greatest inventions of all time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a very specific one. It is. <laughs> Although I guess, you know, for everybody. Yeah. Because it does help, you know, it does help you remember to have a bag so then you can pick up the dog poop. So yep. then it won't sit in the grass where just regular people who don't have animals also right. walk. Right. And then it won't step in it or they won't be annoyed by it and it won't be unpleasant. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it is, it is an event. The dog shit bag dispensary unit is one of the greatest inventions of all kind. And that's what I'm, I'm calling, I'm trying to call it the longest thing possible. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. When it's just, I mean, I don't know if it has a, a proper name. Does it have a proper name? I mean, dog, dog bag, bag dispenser. I dog bag say. dispenser, I think would be it, right? Dog shit bag dispenser reunit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Which is not what they actually call it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what you get every. Bag dispenser. Bag dispenser. That's pretty much all it is. That seems to be the. Yeah. Uh, the the generic term for it. Yeah, and they're the the bags are recyclable, you know, so you can just throw them right into your uh, into the recycling unit, you know, when you're walking around and all that. So it's it's the great it's the greatest. Wait, what? Yeah, because they're like the, like the bags that she, the, the bags that that Julie has are they have the they have the recycling logo on them, right? But you can't throw those in the recycle bin. There's still dog poop inside of them. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you can't show. You're you not, can't throw. You can't. You you're can't not throw throwing them in the recycle bin, are you? No, I'm throwing them in the, in the garbage. But the bags are recycled. Okay. Yeah. So those are well, it's, technically it's, not. <laughs> well, in if you're DC throwing them in Chicago, the bag, you cannot recycle bags. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. By the so, way, yeah, we, that's useful. We talked about the compost and recycling um, issues in Illinois with um, Monica Ang the last time she was on. And oh, the compost, the compost, the compost thing is uh, in the works right now. Where they actually, because in New York City, they actually come and pick up the compost mm-hmm. from you. They actually do come and pick up. Yeah, compost. I would. I would love that. I I have a service that I pay into. Yeah. Um where I have to I have to go to it's a it's called block bins. Yeah. Yeah. They I know set you're up a, a bin. They just set up a bin. There's bins like all over the place and I found one that's like a block away from me. Yeah. So then I just walk over and drop off my compost. Well when we were talking about it, when Monica and I were talking about it, because she wrote a big story about it for Axios. 
Um, mm-hmm. And she's been covering it, and she's been a big like supporter. It's like, hey, I mean, what the hell? The, if yeah. they can do, if you can do it in all five boroughs in New York, you can do it in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like it can be, <laughs> it can yeah. be done. I mean, like the, if you can, the you only could, problem, if, the only problems I see is that people are just lazy assholes. Yeah, and because we have recycling in in our building, but then you go and look at the recycling dumpster, and one, people throw their dog poop in there. Yeah, um, because it's the first, um, bin, it's the first trash bin. Yeah, and then people don't. And, and I guess they don't pay attention. They don't pay attention to the color of the cover, the plastic cover. Exactly. It's, it's not. It's and light. Also, it's light blue. It's light blue, and yeah. you're not supposed to. You know. And then also, people are just idiots. And just assume that because something is plastic, it can be recycled. Yeah. So people just toss anything. We once saw a baby carriage in our recycling, and we were just like, "What is wrong with you?" So, I, I yeah. guess they were they were thinking maybe somebody would walk by and it would be recycled by somebody walking by. No, going, no, no. Oh, it was in Mike. the bin. It was in the bin. You couldn't see it. Until oh, you, you couldn't see it. it. So okay, I was gonna say if maybe somebody would walk by, they stacked there. it on top, and somebody walked by and went, "Oh, I need one nope. for my kid," and I'll just take that one. Nope. That's what they're hoping. No. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Well, um, we we spend a lot of time yeah. talking about we we spend a lot of time confirming and talking about how fucking stupid people are. Um. So. Yeah. So that's the one thing is um, just humanity. I don't trust them. They're idiots. Right. Or just lazy. And they don't want to pay attention for the two seconds it takes right. to um, do something properly. So I don't know how composting would would happen because yeah. I imagine people would just toss everything in there. And it's, not uh, even... it, it's being covered by our friend Monica Eng. And um, we talked about it on uh, – episode or two ago and also she wrote about it if you want to check it out she wrote about it in axios with a lot of detail um on what is supposed to happen and and um, yeah and how it's in the works right now whether it gets off the ground or whether it works again mm-hmm. uh, when you when you have to depend on humans sometimes these things don't work as you know but yeah but it's in the process <laughs> it's in the process and monica ang monica ang has been reporting on it valiantly so uh, i won't yeah. say that much i so. will say i do like having a compost like separating because now my trash just it's just like things that just can't be recycled because i recycle so then that gets separated right and then the compost gets separated so then it's nice in the sense that like my garbage isn't stinky with food and like just food bits because yeah. i don't i compost yeah so gotcha. that's all separated out yeah yeah well, I mean, at some point, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, you're, you're lucky that you got a place that's pretty close to yeah. bring the compost. Um, but at some point, hopefully you can just put it outside and they'll pick it up. Then that's, yeah. that's you hopefully. know, you, I mean, yeah, you hopefully. can, you have, there's those services, but yeah, you got to pay for them and yeah, set yeah. that all up and stuff. But yeah, that would be nice. That would yeah, be yeah. wonderful. And again, and again, as I point out, if it can be done in New York city, how the hell can it not be done here? You know, I, right. I, I mean, <laughs> right. I, I don't understand. But anyway, that's the, if you want to read about it, as I mentioned before, everybody check out axios.com, axios.com slash Chicago, look up Monica Eng, and she has been doing continual coverage and stories about composting, uh, as part of her series on, uh, on food and, uh, and all kinds of other stuff. So, uh, the wonderful Monica Eng, you should check that out. Uh, oh, Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. How Hi, are you? Hi, I'm Carrie yeah. Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know. You do. Yes, I, she's uh, she's wearing a compost T-shirt. 
It just says compost. Oh, wow. It says compost, please. So there you go. I wonder if it's com- compostable. Okay. <laughs> is that a word? Shirt. <laughs> compostable? I think that, I think that is a word. I think that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. You know what else is? Is this compo- compostable? Yes, it is. Get that corn out of my face! Right. That's compostable. Well, corn. Yeah. Throw that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can throw that in the compost after you after somebody Absolutely. gets it to you and you just kick it away Get from them. Get that corn yeah. out of my face! Right. All right. Anyway. Okay. I hope it lands in a compost bin. That would be the best. Yeah, that's where he was aiming for it in, in Nacho Libre. Mm-hmm. He slapped it. Mm-hmm. He slapped it. Yeah. He, sl- he slapped it out of his <laughs> out of the guy's hand and into a compost bin. It, it just happened to mm-hmm. be right there. It happened to be right there. But uh, but anyway, all this conversation started because uh, that dog crap bag dispensary is the greatest invention of all time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's how it all started. <laughs> So anyway, uh, you know the magic megaphone um, is uh, is a thing that I that I have a bunch of requests for, and I'm going to do one today, Esmeralda. How about that? Very good. But Very I kind nice. I kind of skipped over a couple because this one is timely, and I wanted to get it. Uh-huh. Bef- I wanted to get to okay. this one before it wasn't timely anymore. As we mentioned at the top of the of the conversation that we were are having, we've been having some some really cold weather here in Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. some yeah. crazy cold weather. I was on the phone with my uh, landlord just yesterday um, for a different reason. And, uh, and he's like, I can't, I can't, cause he had something to, he had something that uh, at a different building that I know of that was happening. And he called me up and he's like, uh, I, I can't get over there right now uh, to, to get the keys to somebody that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, because I'm dealing with four broken pipes in another building. So I can't yeah, imagine my, my landlord owns a few buildings here in Chicago with lots of units in them. Mm-hmm. And I can't, and a lot of them are old. Like I live in an older building, you know, and he maintains them beautifully and everything, but they're still, they're old buildings and you can't replace every single pipe in a building that's been around forever, you know, Yeah. especially if you own multiple buildings. So he's like, yeah, I can't go right now. Right? I'm dealing. And he sounded exhausted. The poor guy sounded like he was on his final thread. You know what I mean? Because I'm yeah. dealing, with, I'm dealing with four busted pipes, you know, because that's what happens yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, that's rough. It's Ooh. terrible. Now, have you ever had to deal with a busted pipe or anything because of the heat, or because of the heat? Well, because of the cold. Um, I unfortunately have not. Yeah. Um, I've just gotten lucky slash, you know, keep that dripping right. Keep the water going. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's no seriously. That's what people should do. Is like even if it gets really cold out, you keep the water dripping in your sink as long as there's some water, even a little bit of water running through the pipes. The 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 uh, the chances of them rusting or not rusting. Well, that's gonna happen too. The chances of <laughs> the chances of them freezing is much less likely. So always keep the waters like a little steady drip, drip, drip. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people mm-hmm. don't do that or forget to do it. Or like in my case, I wasn't in my apartment for like three days straight during the last cold snap. But when yeah. I got home, I turned the water on and everything was fine. Uh, but yeah, so he was dealing with uh, busted pipes. And, and I've had that happen. I've had it happen in buildings that I've lived in, and it's just been a nightmare. It's a night. I can't imagine what it's like to be de- to go down there and try to replace those pipes, especially if it's like 50 below and it doesn't break and you have to, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a nightmare. So um, anyway, so the cold weather has uh, has been hitting us a little bit uh, here in the Chicagoland area. And it's January. We deal with it. You know, you're a lifelong Chicago and Esmeralda. And, you know, it's January in Chicago. You, it's a pain in the ass, but you deal with it. And then, you know. Yeah. I mean, this is it. This is how it should be. Yeah. No, it's, that's that's what <laughs> it, it is. It's yeah. cold. It's 
pretty yeah. cold here, yeah. Yeah, it gets cold in Chicago, and, and in January it gets very, very, very cold, and sometimes ridiculously cold, and, you know, they, they can invent all kinds of terms for it, like the polar vortex or whatever. I, I love that the polar vortex really wasn't a thing until around 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but so it's a term that just popped up because it's not like it didn't get that cold in Chicago before the polar vortex came around. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like now there's just a name for it. Oh, it's called the polar vortex, even though, you know, 80, 90, a hundred years ago, it would get down to 50 below in this city. But then like we have an easy name for it now. It's the polar vortex. So, but uh, yeah, I remember when the polar vortex became like, remember everybody was using that term polar vortex. Mm-hmm. Polar vortex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, Tom Skilling. I don't Skilling. think they, they only, they don't know if it is or not. Tom Skilling has to tell them. <laughs> Tom Skilling has to tell you. You don't know what anything is officially in the, and, and, and that guy's retiring, Esmeralda. So mm-hmm. like, this is, this mm-hmm. is like, this is, I think, this is the last um, insane uh, sub-zero polar vo- vortex cold weather stretch that we can rely on, on, on uh, Skilling for. I think yeah. that's it. This is I the last one. So. <laughs> oh man so. <laughs> so and by the way he posted some stuff on it because i follow him on the socials because he's because he's skilling and he rules the planet and mm-hmm. he followed he, he he filed some videos and stuff he posted some videos and stuff because he's in hawaii so he posted some videos and i'm like dude you can't do oh that. look at him you can't be posting stuff from hawaii when it's 30 below and pipes are busting and stuff in chicago i like i like that he's like taking vacations just before he yeah, has to, he retired. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good for him, man. He can do whatever he wants. He's Tom Skilling. He's the greatest weatherman and one of the yeah. coolest guys. That guy's a rock star, man. That guy is a rock star. I have been in his presence among the among the public, and let me tell you something: you don't exist if Tom Skilling is around. And I I have been in uh, suites with hockey players like Bobby Bobby Hall and and and, and Stan Makita, you know. And he's been in the bo- he's been in those the, the box with us, and it was like Stan McKeita and Bobby Hall didn't exist. Oh my God, it's Tom Skilling, and we were in <laughs> the United Center among Hawk fans, and Hawk fans were more excited to see Skilling than they were, you know, <laughs> ambassadors uh, ambassadors to the Hawks. So, it, but he's a rock star. But yeah, he can do whatever he wants. But he his excuse was that there were weird wind and rain patterns in Hawaii. That's why mm. he posted them. You know mm. what I mean? Like, oh, look at this. Here's some crazy wind. And, and it, the weather was a little severe, but it was warm and windy and wet. And posting something from Hawaii, even if it is meteorolo- meteorologically interest- interesting, it's going to piss off Chicagoans who are on their third day of sub-zero temperatures. You know? Well, especially if he's there. It'd be different if he <laughs> yeah, had yeah. not. He yeah, no, tr- there you're right. He <laughs> but he's there, which yeah. is like Tom Skilling. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's a that's a great point. Because if he were in Chicago going, here's what's going on in, in Hawaii, you know, that's one thing. But he's like, yeah. hey, I'm, I'm on a beach. And he was. I'm on a beach in Hawaii, and it's kind of windy. And I'm like, you jag off. It's freezing here. What? You know, <laughs> it's like you're supposed to be uh, suffering with us. Yeah. What's happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. We count on you, Tom. And he's often, you know, running around on the beach in kind of a windy and wet Hawaii as opposed to yeah. pipes, pipes so bursting windy. and 80 Ugh. below. Yeah. Oh, it's a little windy. Oh, really, Tom? That's the problem. Yeah, it's a little windy here in Hawaii. You know, oh, really, Tom? Because <laughs> it's freezing here. Well, anyway, the Magic Megaphone, if you would like to leave any kind of message or have me say something into the Magic Megaphone, 
Um, you can leave the message if you want me to say a line from a movie or record a line from a movie or whatever. Whatever you want to be spoken to or recorded into or recorded into or spoken into, into the Magic Megaphone, just let me know what it is. You can leave it on our voicemail at 773-417-6948. Whatever message you want, I'll say it or I'll do it. You can also email us with your Magic Megaphone request at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Timothy, who lives in Rockford, mm-hmm. as uh, sent this. Are you ready? Yes. Hold on. What the hell's going? Okay, you ready? Here we go. Meh. I've been colder. Meh. I've been colder. So. <laughs> Meh. I've been colder. So there you go. Isn't yeah. that isn't that such a typical thing we say? <laughs> right. That, yeah. We'll he's from. Right. Ro- it's he's... fifty below zero. We'll be like, you know, it's not yeah. that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> It's not that bad. Yeah, if there wasn't any wind, it wouldn't yeah. be that bad. That's not that bad. It's not that. It's here. It is again. It's just Timothy. He's walking around Rockford. Meh. I've been colder. <laughs> it's like, Meh. Yeah. I've been colder. So like you're like you're like you're at the jewel or something, and you're and and Timothy walks in. You go, man, ah, it's freezing out there, right? Meh. I've been colder. Oh, okay. Thanks. Okay. So there you go. Yeah, that's just our midwestern brainwashing. Yeah. That's happened. So I thought I would us. share that. We're that, like, oh, it's not that brown. Yeah. It's fine. Timothy's like, meh, I've been colder. And and he's right. It has been colder. I mean, not that it makes True. it not that it makes it any less unpleasant, you know, to be in right. this ridiculous <laughs> weather. But it's true. It has been colder. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. but that, so that doesn't make it suck less, you know. But yeah. Exactly. And that's the other thing. Like we hit like yesterday, I think we hit eighteen, and I was ready to go out in shorts. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, you know. <laughs> You're like, woo, it's summer. The sun came out. Yeah. You're like, woo. Yeah. What the hell, man? This is beautiful. I can handle this, you know. So uh yeah. Well anyway, so if you have a magic megaphone message of some kind, if it's weather related or dog poop bag related or, you know, compost related, whatever you want to say into the magic megaphone, I'll say it. Seven seven three four one seven six nine four eight Nick D podcast at gmail uh, dot com. So there you go. Now, let, let me ask you this. As someone who walks dogs, uh, yes. how do the dogs react to this kind of cold? Like when you take a dog out, because dogs don't see, like the dog that I walk, that uh, Julie's dog doesn't really seem bothered by, uh, by, by this weather. And it's, I don't, I'm, it's, right. a mixed, it's a mixed breed. Doesn't like the salt and the cold on the paws. Like the paws, yeah. will, you yeah. know, like, they'll jump up and down a little bit. So what about your dogs that you walk? So it really depends. Um, if they're bigger dogs, they don't seem to care as much. Um, yeah. It's the smaller dogs that are really bothered by it, and it's more so if they don't, if they're not wearing anything on their paws. Yeah. Um, they will freak out because you know the salt gets into their paws or the right. snow gets into their paws, and yeah, it freezes up. Like imagine walking barefoot on some salt and snow yeah and, i mean yes you have kind of a callus on your paws but it still it hurts it gets in between and it and it starts to hurt and you know they're standing there and they'll lift up their paws and like maybe cry a little bit um yeah. you try to get it out like you try to um, warm up their paws but sometimes yeah it's not fun for them it's not so i yeah. always suggest i mean you gotta put something on them you gotta on put the- some i mean they sell like the pod, you know, like little mittens for them and stuff. Like, but they yeah, also little... sell like like creams and things that you can put in there. That you can put um, on the, the on worst the ones are those ones that look like balloons. 
Yeah. Those are terrible. <laughs> yeah, I know. I see, like, the... put on, they seem like the worst things ever. Like, I know. I'd rather and... put on a boot, an actual boot. Those little, a, those little dog. sort of like those little bubble things that you're talking about. The dogs are frantically like shaking their paw to get it off. Like, oh God, you know, like they're lifting up their paw. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, and just it's to get re- it on is a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have one lady who, and she has this dog in this thing all the time. They're essentially dog leggings. Um, <laughs> they, yeah. they go up the back um, and they like, they end in the middle. So it's kind of like, just imagine leggings and yeah. they're all tied up to, on the back of the dog. And they essentially, yeah, they look like leggings and they got like a rubber foot. I mean, they work. Yeah. <laughs> they don't fall off really, which is good when you're in snow and stuff because with the boots, those things can just fly off. Right. Like if they shake their paws too much, they'll fly off. But yeah, with right. these, they're embarrassing for the dog and owner, I, I say, mm-hmm. the dog leggings, but they work. They do work. Yeah. But they're kind of a. And uh, do are they now? They, they only they have to put them on every time they go out. They don't leave them on like in the house or. No. So the um the the lady that has them that I walk, they are allergic or something, and they get like irritated paws. So she makes the dog wear them every time he goes out for a walk. Mm. Um, but they're mainly you know they're for when there's snow or there's like dirt, mud, or rain. Yeah. Um, for regular dogs. Yeah. But yeah, they are they are very embarrassing. He doesn't he hates them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm like, sorry, dude. This is not my choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta wear them. I'm sorry. He looks at me like, no. You seriously? I don't want to. <laughs> you're, you're putting this you're putting these on here? You're seriously? And I go, sorry, sir. <laughs> you have to put on your dog leggings. <laughs> well, uh we take uh Julie takes uh, and uh takes uh, her dog's name is Trixie and and takes Trixie mm-hmm. to a dog park in uh, in tinley park um uh, where you know her, her her julie's sister lives there and has a big dog as well and they go and they go and this dog park is like you walk in you can just it's a it's an off-leash dog park and they run around like crazy out there mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it's awesome those things are great you can just sit on the bench and eat while your dogs are running around like lunatics you know <laughs> and it's specifically designed you have to have a key to get in you have to be part you know um and and um they allow visitors, but like you have to have a key to get into this area. It's all fenced off and it's a whole, mm-hmm. it's a whole area with trees and grass and everything where the dogs can run around. And the last time we went, there was a lot of snow uh, and they were running around and then it was a lot and there was mud and stuff underneath the snow. So we had to like, uh, mm-hmm. t- we took the dog to pet supplies and, uh, and did the bath cause they have a bath, uh, you know, with tubs and stuff where you can take the dog in and wash the dog instead of oh. bringing it. So yeah, it's like I think I don't know how much it was. I think it's like I think it's ten bucks to bring the dog in, and you can just you know suds them up and shampoo them and dry them and stuff. I think it's only ten bucks, and then you don't have to have hair all over your house or in the tub, you know, or you know, it's great. It's really really great. But we did that whole thing because she was covered in mud and snow and shit afterwards. It was ridiculous, (laughs) ridiculous. So, but yeah, so this this was a you know we went to this pet supply pet supply. Whatever, not it, not pet, pet, uh, pet co, but like pet supplies. Yeah, pet supplies uh, plus. That's it. That's the place. And this yeah. was in or- this was in Orland, about you know half a mile away from the dog park. 
and shampooed her up and hosed her down and dried her and everything. And then, you know, all the other dogs are in there and like looking in. And they had like two separate big rooms <laughs> with two tubs where you can just bring the dog in and hose it down yourself. It was pretty cool. Yeah, nice. It was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, when you let those dog, when you let the dogs out at that dog park, man, forget it. They just go nuts. They go completely nuts, especially like this. They're city dogs, you know. And when you go out to, you know, with a with a couple of acres or whatever of like, you know, grass and trees, they just go ape shit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're probably they just don't read. They don't know. Some yeah. don't know. Yeah. So they love it, and then covered in snow and mud. It was ridiculous. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> they're rolling around in it. We got snow everywhere, and they're knocking <laughs> stuff over. And you know, it's a community thing. So a lot, all the dog people come there, and they have a they have a two separate uh, sort of like yards there. One is for small dogs, and one is for big dogs, and they separate them. Oh, that's um, smart. Yeah, it's really cool. And then like they have dishes out there with water. And there's a box that they have, a big crate that they have. And uh, when mm-hmm. you are when you are a member, they give you the the uh, the combination because it's mm-hmm. locked. And there are toys and balls and frisbees and stuff in there, so you can just toss them all oh, out, wow. and put them all well, back when you. That's fun. Go. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's in uh, it's a it's in a, it's in a park in Tinley Park, um, uh, and it's huge. And the dogs just go nuts, man. And you can just go and sit sit on the bench and you know have some coffee or eat some food while the dogs are going ape shit. And then they're all exhausted when you get them home. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so you get them home, they're like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to be bothering you guys all night, man. I've been running around, you know, so. I mean, yeah, that seems to be the focus. Like, how can we tire out these animals <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I they think... don't bother us? Yeah. So now, do you, do you, now you dog sit as well. Are there ways that, that you are, are you, I mean, because you, you, you don't want to take, I mean, do some people have yards? Just let, let them out in the yard and let them go nuts sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't take them to dog parks. That's yeah. too much of a liability. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I don't I don't trust. Yeah. I don't trust other dogs. Yeah. Um, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's especially if it's not your dog, you know what I mean? Like obviously exactly. this is, this is yeah. Julie's dog. Her sister is a member there as well and they know all the dogs that are there that show up. They're all friends. You know, they know the people and the dog owners. They're all dog mm-hmm. people and they know the dogs. But, you know, like but just as long as there's a backyard, at least you can sometimes if a dog gets restless, if you've got you know, the luxury of having a backyard, if it's if it's a little bit of a big one, at least they can run around a little bit out there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, anyway. All right. Well, dogs, they're cool. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, thank you for the person who invented the dog crap bag dispensary. Couldn't do it without you. <laughs> yeah. Imagine having to carry your own bags. Yeah. Urgh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, but, um, but, and again, you know, because of that, there's nobody has an excuse. I don't understand why people don't like, I don't understand when I see dog shit on the sidewalk now or in, on, on the grass and I'm like, why, why wouldn't you pick that up? I, there's no mm-hmm. reason for you not to have picked that up. Yeah. I don't, I don't no, understand. No, that's just being, I mean, it's part of dog ownership. You have to. Yeah. But some people are buttholes and <laughs> don't do it. Yes, they are. They are buttholes. That's what they are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've yeah. straight like looked at people with dogs and I see them like not paying attention. I go, do uh, you need a dog bag? Like I yell at them. <laughs> yeah. And like they're not like they're like they're making no effort. Like they're not even pretending to pick it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like to bend over and, you know, be like if they don't have a dog, but maybe someone's seeing from far away and they, they maybe they bend over and pretend to pick it up. <laughs> oh, I stare down people. I bet you do. 
if I see them because I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're older and they think, yeah, because in the 70s when I was a kid, because there was dog shit. Yeah, well, not anymore. I know. I know. (laughs) I'm not saying it was okay. I'm just saying that that was the way it was. I mean, this the the idea of picking up after your dog didn't exist. By the way, have you seen strays yet? Uh, I have not. Okay. <laughs> well, the, 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 the strays, for people who don't know, is about a bunch of uh, stray dogs, real dogs being f- that, were, that are filmed, that, and the voices are provided by uh, Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx and other people. And it's a very crude, uh, very, very funny movie. I Very mm-hmm. funny. Um, and I told you what my favorite joke was in it, right? Where... You, you discover, because all the dogs are walking around and they all talk and stuff like that, and they're trying to... Because the plot of the movie is that they're accompanying the dog voiced by Will Ferrell back to his owner, played by Will Forte, so that he can bite the Will Forte's dick off. That's the, that's the plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's a real asshole abusive owner. And so they're like, well, we have to go back and you have to bite his dick off. That's, and that's the plot of the movie, is a bunch of stray dogs yeah. are helping Will Ferrell, the dog, get back to Will Forte to bite his dick off. That's the plot of the movie, and it's outstandingly fun. Oh, good. Good for those dogs. <laughs> but they, my favorite joke in it, as they're walking, one of the dogs uh, tries to tell a knock-knock joke. And you, and you realize when you see the movie that dogs can't tell knock-knock jokes, and here's why. So... You know, they're walking and one of the dogs goes, knock, knock. And all the other dogs start barking. Mm. And they're like, no, no, no. I want to tell a knock, knock joke. So they go, knock, knock. And then all the other dogs start barking. So they can't tell knock, knock jokes. (laughs) Because they just start barking every time they hear knock, knock. That's my favorite joke of the entire movie. It made me laugh my ass off. Because their dogs can't tell knock, knock jokes because of the way they react to knock, knock. So that made me laugh. Uh, But there is a part in the movie where they're like, they have a theory. Dogs have a theory as to why their owners and their humans actually pick up the dog shit. Mm-hmm. And they say that it's punishment that they are, that that's what they use. That's what they use to make chocolate because it makes them sick. <laughs> because it makes them sick. <laughs> wow. So that's oh, their theory. They, and they talk about how, Oh no, they're going to make more chocolate with that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Now, are any of the dogs that you walk, I, 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 I'm assuming that some of them are on sort of restrictive diets, like they have, because, you know, they might have like some stomach ailments mm-hmm. or things yeah. like that. Yeah, they got to watch what they eat. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and obviously chocolate is a no-no, a big no-no. Right. Right. Yeah. No chocolate. Yeah. No chocolate. I don't know. And, and now, wait, did you have a dog when you were growing up? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you, was it, did it eat people food? Did you like, did yeah. it? Did, no, did we fed it, it everything. Scraps and that stuff. Dog off ate everything. Yeah. He wouldn't eat his food if it didn't have some kind of <laughs> uh, yeah. something that we were eating. He would yeah. look at us like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm not going to eat this. Right. You guys are eating all that and I got to eat this. <laughs> what kind of dog, what kind of dog was it? It was a Cocker Spaniel. Cocker Spaniel. What in the name of the, of, of, uh, his name was Pinto because he Pinto. looked like a Pinto bean. He looked like a yeah, Pinto he was all bean. Black and white. Oh, that's awesome! But Pinto did it. Did Pinto eat Pinto beans? Um, I believe he did. He <laughs> ate everything. Yeah. That that damn dog ate everything. He didn't like avocado. I think that was the, like he just didn't <laughs> like it. 
So, so no he guac, loved no bananas. guac, bananas. No, okay. no guac for him. No, his no guac for Pinto. No, no bananas. Guac. Bananas was yeah. his favorite. He'd go okay. crazy for a banana. Wow, that's interesting. So the dog had a high potassium level, then. He did. Well, my mom. <laughs> so my mom eats eats a banana, eats a mm-hmm. banana and a glass of milk at night. Like that's her like little snack before she goes to bed. Sure, that's a lovely. And the snack. dog would know. He would, it was routine. So he knew that like, oh, oh it's bedtime. And, but he'd also be like, he gets a piece. He would yeah, always get a, get piece a little of, piece. Yeah. Now, was there anything besides bananas? I mean, was there like, like dinner food? Like if you gave the dog scraps yeah. or anything, was there everything. something? Everything. Every, everything. Just everything. Everything was good. He would eat everything. That's he was amazing. the worst. <laughs> he yeah. ate everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because you've been, how long have you been a cat person? You've had a cat now. For a, for a while um, since I've known you, you've probably, had a cat. Yeah, probably yeah. ten plus years now. Yeah, and it's so much different to have a cat than a dog, isn't it? Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because cats are like, I don't give a shit. Just whatever, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then so my last cat, she would eat people food. She'd eat cheese and bread. She loved mm. cheese and bread. Mm-hmm. And she was a stray, so I assumed that she just ate pizza. That's yeah, yeah. That would make sense. Sure, sure. Because that's bread and that's bread and cheese. Yeah, they loved bread and cheese. Um, (laughs) And then this 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 cat that I now have, Jake. He doesn't eat any people food. He just doesn't. He doesn't like it. Hmm. A piece of chicken, nothing. He want. He loves his kibble. (laughs) Well, that's good though, right? I mean, all about that kibble. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I would. I mean, I wouldn't mind feeding just like a little piece of chicken or a little something. He, he doesn't like wet food either. He's, just the kibble. Wow. He just loves the kibble. It's crazy. Like he will not. He'll smell it and just be like, mm, yeah, yeah. My my uh my my uh, my parents' cat is like that. Um, just the kibble stuff and not really interested in mm-hmm. anything else. It's interesting. Yeah. Although every once in a while they give it a they give uh, they give it a, a little uh, wet food as a treat. Yeah, but but they he never just really they... like it, and it's really annoying because <laughs> sometimes you know, like uh, he had some stomach issues, and they were like, "Just feed him this wet food that's oh, like bland or whatever." Yeah, and I'm like, "He's not eating because he's he not going like to eat it." Yeah, he doesn't anything like it. other than his kibble. Yeah. <laughs> now that see now there's that brings up a whole other a uh, whole other issue. Like, what if you have to give your dog medication? You know, and it's like you think you can sneak it into some food, but what if the dog or cat doesn't like that food? You know, that's always a pain. Yeah, in the you just gotta. Um, I just shove the pills down their throat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, if, yeah. For it's cats, be it's done. easier because they're little. They're little, yeah. so you can kind of grab their their mouths and just right. shove it down, and they yeah. eventually they'll swallow it. They won't. They're not like dogs. Dogs are trickier. They are because they're. It's like they're smarter a little bit in a way. Yeah. When it comes to pills, because mm-hmm. they will, I've had dogs, plenty of dogs. Spit them um, right out. Even with, yeah, they spit it out even with a treat or whatever yeah. food. They'll manage to lick it all off and then just yep. spit the pill. That's exactly what the, that's so, like, so. Thank you. Julie, Julie <laughs> went on a road trip to Georgia over the, the between uh, Christmas and New Year's. Mm. She went, she went down to visit a relative in Georgia and she took Trixie with. And she wanted to, because the dog doesn't like being in the car for a long time and will freak out. And mm. this was a, she mm-hmm. was driving, so she wanted yeah. to give. She went to the vet and got some, you know, sedative stuff uh, for her. And um, and Trixie enjoys milk very much, mm. and uh, and and so she like 
put the pill in this treat and then covered it in milk. And Trixie lapped up all the milk and ate, uh, you know, ate most of the treat and left the pill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then like so she also had like the the other thing was there was an eyedropper where you could like open up the dog's mouth and shoot the, you know, squirt it in like a like a syringe and squirt it in and mm-hmm. you know that yeah. was the other option, but like so yeah, man, uh getting the getting the dog or the cat the medication is very interesting especially if they're picky eaters, man, if they're finicky eaters. Yeah. yeah. So no, you just got to grab their heads and just shove it in. <laughs> yeah, uh, you have to do that. I mean, it, it's not cruel. They need the medication. It's going to help them. Right. And if they don't eat it, you go, well, what the hell else am I going to do? You know? Yeah, they're they're fine. They're just being stubborn. Yeah. That's all. And the dog, by the way, was all very relaxed on the ride at one point. Like, Oh, yeah. I could imagine. The dog's in the back going, yeah, you know, during the drive. <laughs> During the drive, normally if Trixie's in the car for more than like a half an hour, she starts to get really restless and pant a lot and breathe and drool everywhere. But she was like, yeah, like Julie was telling me like, yeah, like by the time they got to Georgia, Trixie was like, yeah, where are we going now, man? I'm high. You know, it was that. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it's a matter of getting that in there. You know what else this dog likes besides milk? Like, so when, when, you know, you feed it, you feed Trixie kibble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you pour some milk in there like cereal and she'll eat yeah. it more. She also loves canned pumpkin. Yeah, that's a big thing for dogs. Right? And it's high in fiber. Yeah, and it, and it helps them poop and it makes their poop more solid. And uh, uh, and yeah. And so like like loves the pumpkin. You know, like uh, Julie put it in there because she's like, because the dog would get constipated every once in a while and not go. Mm -hmm. So she's like, and then the dog loves pumpkin. And you put a little milk and pumpkin and that dog is Trixie's in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of milk is this dog eating? It's the, yeah. No, 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 no. It's it's whole because I, I spend a lot of time at Julie's. So she now has milk in her refrigerator, which she never did before. But yeah. now that she now that she's dating me, there's milk there all the time because you know how yeah. much milk so I drink. Yeah, so you and you and Trixie are like, hey, yep. milk. That's right. We drink the milk. That's exactly <laughs> right. And I'm not, it's, it's become a thing now. I've been dating. I've been dating uh, Julie going on six months now, and um, <laughs> and she. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. As well, this is not. This is true. This is the truth. Every time I pour myself a glass of milk, I pour some into her dish. I'm not kidding. It's become a thing. <laughs> Trixie and I drink the milk. That's how it works. Uh, wow. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm like a dog. So, all right. Anyway. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Except you don't need to have a dog crap bag around me. I'm good. I'll be fine. No, yeah. You've, uh, you've been trained. You've I've been, been trained. Been, fully been, house trained. I've been fully house trained. That's right. All right. Well, uh, so um, how often is your do – you, do you – do you miss dogs that you don't walk anymore? Are there dogs that you don't walk anymore that you that you go, oh man, I still wish I, I walked that one. Yeah, there's a couple who have moved. They moved away, so yeah, um, yeah I don't get to walk them anymore. There were these, uh, um, I don't know what they are. They might be terriers of some sort. Yeah, but they have. They're the kind where they look. They got those smushed noses yeah yeah they're boston terriers boston terriers they were um they were very sweet they were um unhinged dogs but (laughs) unhinged dogs they were unhinged but they were adorable they were very cute and 
and fun. One was um, about two years old. Like I saw her as a puppy, like puppy, puppy, like just tiny little ball of a, of, of a dog. Yeah. Um, they recently moved away. So that was a bummer because they were very sweet and I would um, dog sit them as well. And yeah. all that. Do they send you pictures or anything? You keep in touch? Do you get to see the dog? Uh, I follow them on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun, though. You get to I see, see them on there, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Because you do get attached, right? Even though you just walk them, you do get attached to these dogs because they're cool. Yeah, right? you kind of, you start to miss them. Like, if they're really, if they're cute ones. I, right now, there's a, a pity that I walk who's very sweet. And yeah. I would probably miss her if I had, to, you know, yeah. if she moved away or, you know, they stopped using the service. Yeah, that's fun, but, though, man. I yeah. think that's cool. That's very cool. Hey, you know what we forgot? We forgot to have you taste test something. Oh, well, I have stuff here. Oh, you do? All right, well, we're out of time. I just keep them at my desk now. Okay, cool, cool. Well, we'll do it. We'll do it on Tuesday, the next time that we, uh, the next time, next time, next time we record, uh, we'll definitely have you do a taste test of, um, of, of, of some, uh, of some snacks and stuff. We'll do that. And you know what? The next time we're going to talk with Dan Feinberg, um, Mm. uh, all about TV talk. And uh, the Emmys were handed out. Uh, We'll talk about that. The finale for Fargo happened. Uh, the finale for Fargo happened, and we'll talk. We'll definitely talk about that. My God, and uh, and much more. So that's the next on the next episode. We'll have Esmeralda do a taste test, which will be awesome. We'll have Dan Feinberg talking about TV and more. Uh, and my thanks to Stephen Tobolowski, the amazing Stephen Tobolowski, for joining us Oof, and yeah. being one of the greatest guests of all time. And 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 Esmeralda on February second, on Friday, February second, they're doing a full. Uh, tribute to Harold Ramis, who on February 24th, it'll be 10 years since Harold Ramis passed away. Mm. Um, And they're doing a big Groundhog Day celebration on Friday, February 2nd at Harry Carey's in Navy Pier. And Tobo's going to be there and a bunch of other cast members, Brian Doyle Murray, and they're going to have a real uh, Groundhog and they're going to have all kinds of specials and all kinds of cool stuff. And it's going to be a big tribute to Harold Ramis. And that's happening uh, at Harold or at uh, Harry Carey's uh, in Navy Pier on Friday, February 2nd, and Tobo's going to be in town for that. Yeah, that'll be fun. So so my thanks to Tobolowski for doing that. My thanks to you. And if you want to be a sponsor, advertise on the podcast here, sales at radiomisfits.com. If you want to leave a voicemail message, 773-417-6948. Email us at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Jason Skaggs uh, does the music and the noises and the sounds and the weirdness, and he's awesome. And he and this is actually this is him. Yeah, man. That's right. And uh, <laughs> take the time to share, rate, review us on every platform. Ed and uh, Radio Misfits, thanks everybody, and we'll see you next time on the Nick D Podcast. Yeah.